All right, so all together, indestructible, Captain Scarlet. Dum, 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 dum. Oh, I don't know that bit, yeah. <laughs> no, you were meant to do the drums at the okay. same time, so then we could line it up. Could not do, just do the clicks. Well, there we go, click. Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show! Hello and welcome to a sort of special edition of Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show. Uh, so we're all still in lockdown and since we're in lockdown we're all basically watching things. I'm re-watching old episodes of shows I like, like Simpsons, Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire, uh, while I'm doing video animations. Uh, and then I started watching an episode of Thunderbirds while animating the latest video. And I remembered that there's some episodes of Captain Scarlet that are actually set on the moon. So I figured, oh, okay, that'd be a good thing for you and I to chat about because we've mentioned Captain Scarlet and Thunderbirds in the past. So it might be a nice little thing that we can talk about. The episode is called Lunaville 7 from Jerry Anderson's 1967 series Captain Scarlet. Uh, so if you want to go away and watch that, I think it's only like 25 minutes. Pause this episode now because we're going to talk about it in great detail and probably spoiler it a bit. Well, definitely spoiler it a bit if you haven't seen it. So spoiler warning from this point out. Uh, so I take it you've watched it at least once. Rick, what did you think of Lunaville 7? Uh, yes, I did watch it earlier today. Uh, yeah, it was good. I've not really ever watched Captain Scarlet that I can remember. Uh, I think I have seen one or two episodes at some point, but I don't really remember of it because it all merged in with Stingray and Thunderbirds. So, yeah, just a quick one. So it started with the Mysterons of the Sworn Enemies of Earth. I can't remember the, the Captain Scarlet sort of lore. It's like, who, what, did we do anything to the Mistrons, or they did something to us, or why, why have we got sworn enemies? So, here is what happens in the first episode of Captain Scarlet, and why he is indestructible. There was a mission to Mars, of which a Spectrum agent, Captain Black, was a part of. And while this probe was exploring Mars, it kind of like went over a hill on Mars, and it discovered a Mistron base. And it's like, oh my god, an alien base. This is incredible. And as they approached it, the Mysterons obviously saw them. And these turrets appeared and locked on to the Earth probe, the Earth mission. Now, unbeknownst to the Earth mission, these turrets were just identification turrets. They were just basically scanning this probe to see what it was. But the astronauts on this Martian probe mistook it as a sign of hostility and they were like, oh my god, they've got guns, they're going to fire at us, so let's fire first. So it was a preemptive strike and they destroyed the Mr. on base. <laughs> right, uh, Americans. Yeah. <laughs> but Mr. Ons can regenerate an exact likeness of an object or person. So they recreated their base and they were like, you know, we were, we're peaceful, we didn't do anything to you. But now, upon first contact, you fired at us, you opened fire on us, um, you are our mortal enemy. The first thing you did when we met in person was start a war, so you're our mortal enemy from this point out. So imagine, like, you go to the pub, and the first thing someone does is punch you in the face. I'd say that person's an enemy from this point on. Yeah, but probably not their entire species and planet they come from. That's fine. So the Mysterons don't like us because of that. Yes. 
Okay. I'd also say, like, it's really not that big of a deal if you can just regenerate. So there's a difference between I kicked over your pint of beer and you've got to go and buy another one and I kicked over your pint of beer but you can regenerate another one without much effort to yourself. Not only that, imagine that I've just got unlimited wealth. So I'm not actually yeah. down a fiver because I've got unlimited wealth. It's just a yeah. mild inconvenience for me having to get up and get another pint. Yeah. So, um, okay, so the misruns are just very... I should point out, this is a kid's show. Yeah, I, I just... It, yeah, it just started with, we are the misruns, the sworn enemies of Earth. It's like, okay, uh, what have we done? So how does, how, why is Captain Scarlet indestructible? In the first episode, he was just a mere human, and the Mysterons were attacking certain people, and Spectrum was set up to kind of like... I think they were like an agency beforehand, but then they were like retasked with, right, your Earth's Guardians, the Mysterons. You will help protect the Mysteron targets and escort them and look after them and make sure that the Mysterons don't do these people harm. So... They were targeting someone, Captain Scarlet was asked to escort them, but the Mysterons killed Captain Scarlet and recreated him, so Captain Scarlet was a Mysteron agent. Now what happened is, in the first episode, there was a Mysteron battle on the top of this huge building, which is actually a car park, and then Captain Scarlet got knocked off the top of this. So he fell to his death as a Mysteron agent, and the lore of the show is Captain Scarlet was a Mysteron, fell from a great height, is no longer a Mysteron, is human, but has the power to recreate like a Mysteron. So, human, but has the recreation abilities. So, could he recreate, like, a spaceship? Uh, no, he can only recreate himself. Ah, okay. But it does open up plot hole central when every episode from this point on is like, we'll just send in Captain Scarlet. Yeah. Captain Blue, you don't need to go. Yeah. Uh, if he get if he gets shot, it's fine. Can he send in two Captain Scarlets, or can you only have one at the same time? You can only have one at the, one at a time. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Seems a harsh to send in everyone else as well. Uh, a little bit. The, the thing with Captain Scarlet is the Mistrons can do absolutely anything at any time to fit the plot. And other times when I'm watching, it's like, well, Mr. Ons, why didn't you just do this? But I'm just applying too much logic to it. And mm. it is meant for a kid's show. It has very big sci-fi ideas that are executed in a very juvenile way. Yeah. Because it is for kids, so they can't go too high level. But there's still some really clever ideas in there. Yeah. No. Oh, it's good fun. There's a bit of backstory I just wanted filling in. That's fair enough. The other thing is, how come all the women don't have a rank, uh, and it's only sort of men who have a rank, and the others are just called angels? Uh, well... Apart from 1950s sexism. I don't know is the answer. It was created by Jerry Anderson and his wife. The angels, the only women in Captain Scarlet, who happen to go out on a few dates with the captains of Spectrum, but the women in Captain Scarlet are the Angels, and they are Rhapsody, Melody, Harmony, Symphony, and Destiny, because they ran out of musical things that end in E. Yeah, could have had timpani. You could have. I don't know why, why they didn't have that. <laughs> just just the, the timpani is, every time she enters a room, she trips over a number of items like a kettle and stuff. And causes <laughs> sort of right, uh, I mean, it does mean kettle drum. But still, it's mu it, it's more musical than Destiny. Yeah. Uh, you're right to point that out, though, but I don't know what to tell you. There was an episode of Thunderbirds where 
it was called City of Fire, and it was this huge, colossal skyscraper that caught fire. And the reason it caught fire was because a car crashed in the car park underneath this huge skyscraper, and it uh, this fire spread throughout the entire car park, and so it went from the ground up. It was a, like the special effects of that episode are stunning, but the plot of the show is oh, it was because a woman was driving her husband's car and he was like teaching her to drive, and she just kept hitting the accelerator as opposed to the brake pedal and then the whole episode ends they're reading the newspaper international rescue save the city in the sky and it said here that the city on fire was caused by a car crash didn't it tintin yes alan it did and did it say anything about the the driver yes alan it was a woman driver ha 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 fade to credits (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay but it was the it, it was the humor at the time they didn't know any better, or if they yeah. did know any better, they chose they, they they weren't inclined to act on it. So, what what can we learn from this? Well, we're in a better time uh, and a more woke time, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Well, it was only a few years ago Saudi Arabia allowed women drivers, so I'm going to blame Captain Scarlet episodes that have ended up <laughs> in, in, in Riyadh uh, that have then. <laughs> That have been taken as like genuine documentaries. Well, the, it's set in twenty sixty eight. Well, the the folks in Riyadh are like, we don't want to end up like that. Best not let women drive. So I can only assume it's that. <laughs> well, I I don't know what to say. But on on that, no, do the sort of angels have a role? Because like the the captains seem to go and do stuff. Like, and then Thunderbirds, everyone's got a role in that if you're one of the Thunderbirds, you get a ship. And Brains, Brains invent stuff, and Lady Penelope, she just sort of funds stuff. Do you remember uh, the spaceships involved in Captain Scarlet? You had Spectrum Headquarters, which was Cloud Base, and on that you had uh, certain fighter jets. And the fighter jets were angels. They're like tiny little red arrow-looking things, but they're white and really sprightly. Uh, and they were piloted by the angels. So it was basically all the women were like their go-to fighter pilots. Oh, right. Yeah, I did. They weren't just eye candy. They didn't just no, have no, women was... on cloud base just lounging around. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> um, at all, based on what you said. But uh, yeah, so sorry, Skybase. Is that that sort of aircraft carrier aircraft? Uh, cloud sure. base. And yes, it is. It floats. Yeah. I was going to say, because I've put a note saying, like, how much fuel must that burn? Oh, quite a bit. But again, it is set in the year 2068. So you could say that, I don't know, we've managed to have some kind of uh, helium regeneration, like being able to take helium from the atmosphere and break it down into the core components or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how cloud base floats they don't say in the show because yeah it, it, it seemed to be the equivalent of getting an aircraft carrier up in the air and just keeping it stable which i was like okay yeah good luck with that it would actually be more fuel efficient to keep it above the earth's atmosphere in a geostationary orbit yeah i was thinking i'll oh, just put it on the ground that's very efficient <laughs> <laughs> like, like fundamentally you got planes uh, instead of, you know, if you're sat around not flying planes, you might as well not fly them all on the ground <laughs> uh, as opposed to hoist them in the air. Yeah, um, it's not like 
Tracy Island where the whole point is oh, we need a space to keep our secret massive aircraft so we'll put it on an island in the middle of the ocean uh, that'll be fine. <laughs> no, it, you're right. Cloud base is a huge waste of fuel for what can only be hubris purposes. Mm. So what did you think of the episode Lunaville 7? I thought it was, uh, what, as in plot-wise or just in general? Um... Let's, let's just stick with the broad strokes of the story and not the nitty-gritty of the plot just yet. No, in general, it's a nice sort of kiddies type plot, but it was a sort of we need to do this thing utilitarianly. So we'll we need to have this conversation. So I think like when they landed at Luna Base, whatever it was, hello, we need to see the Lunar Commander. Yes, I will take you to the Lunar Commander. Yeah, straight to uh, as opposed to probably sort of you're right, you're everyone's okay, cool. Uh, do you need? Yeah, the dialogue isn't. More? isn't like Pulp Fiction where yeah. it's there to flesh out the characters like there's a line in it when they're like oh yes Spectrum have arrived it's their first time on the moon and their last yes it will be their last maniacal laugh ha ha yeah. ha ha, ha. <laughs> my, my favourite lines in it was uh, when they broke out and the base commander goes gone they they can't be gone how and the other person goes, well, I went into their room. He said, I'm not interested in details. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, you've literally asked for details. Uh, <laughs> but once again, it's the sort of utilitarian, well, we can't have him explain stuff. We'll just um, just move on the plot. Yeah, it, it just went from, right, we need to get these people to the moon base. We need to get them suspicions set up that they know they have got to go to whatever it was the sea of something or the other and then uh, and then they head out to it well let, let, let's just have a quick recap of the plot it opens with the commander of lunaville 7 the lunar commander basically saying i have brokered a deal with the mysterons the moon is not part of earth we have four thousand people here we're basically seceding from earth we're our own entity we've got our own resources we're our own people now screw y'all i've spoken to the mr ons directly and we've brokered a deal and we're not going to bother them and they're not going to bother us uh this is your fight not ours so uh, spectrum were like well that's a bit weird uh maybe they're a mr on agent let's go and find out one we need to know how did you talk to the mr ons directly and two you could be a Mr. On agent. So Captain Scarlet, Captain Blue, and Lieutenant Green, they go to Lunaville 7. And while they're there, they're doing some digging and some, some investigating. One of their missions, there is some activity in the Humboldt Sea, which is an area of the moon, which is a real area on the moon that's partially visible, but mostly on the far side. So they're suspecting that there is some activity going on on the far side of the moon. And while on Lunaville 7, they're hoping to go check it out, see it in person, and then also investigate whether these people are Mr. On agents or not. Uh, so as it goes on, they try to get to the Humboldt Sea on a moon hopper, which we'll talk about in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and then they're told, no, no, we're not going there. So they're all acting really shady. So they then steal the moon hopper later on at night, go and have a look. Oh, well, lo and behold, there's a lot of Mr. On activity going on. Come back to the base. The lunar commanders are like, hey, you found our plan. You'll never... Uh, get away with this earth man you meddling spectrum kids and then spectrum escape lunaville 7 blows up in true jerry anderson style the end 
Although I should point out, this is actually part of a trilogy and there are two more episodes that fall into this idea of stuff on the moon. So I think that would be good to explore those in future episodes. And by then, hopefully we should figure out the format of how to review stuff like this a bit better. But that's basically what happens in the episode. So what did you think or what do you think of the idea of these lunar people seceding? Yeah, uh, well, OK, so you're allowed principle of self-determination. Usually you get a bit of warning. Country or a region's going to succeed or secede. Like in Scottish independence, you know, that's that's been going on for a while, or Catalonia and so on. There's usually a sort of group, a special interest group of some sort. Or yeah. A, a, a population that you kind of know that, oh, they want to go independent. So that's probably not particularly realistic. Uh, and the other thing is it seemed to only be the base commander who knew that they were going to declare independence. And everyone else didn't, because he asked the computer at the beginning, like, "This is here's my speech. How's it going to go down?" <laughs> uh, I did. Uh, I did like the sort of audience reception predicting computer. Uh, that was quite good. Oh, Sid. By the way, obviously that will have reminded you of Hal from 2001: A Space Odyssey, the Stanley Kubrick film. You know that? I do. I've never seen it. I do okay. mean to. But you're familiar with, like, HAL 9000, like, open the pod bay doors, HAL. I'm sorry, I cannot do that. And then this network is controlling the whole base and eventually goes haywire. <laughs> so HAL didn't appear in the Space Odyssey novels by Arthur C. Clarke, which was written in the 50s. Now, Arthur C. Clarke did work on the film, and this, the film came out in 1968, and it was the first time to feature HAL 9000, but this episode aired in 1967, so part of me wants to think that, like, Sid the talking robot on uh, Lunaville 7 from Captain Scarlet somewhat influenced Space Odyssey, oh, right. but considering there's like six months between this episode coming out and Space Odyssey being aired, I think they will have had the script and the sets way in production by this by the time this episode came out yeah that's um <laughs> that's not far-fetched but yeah you're gonna do a lot of rewriting if you say oh quick add talking robot <laughs> but we've but we've already built the set Stanley. do it again yeah so it was interesting that it just suddenly declared independence i think his argument was well we we were dependent on the earth but we've kind of got our stuff now right we're independent which is really ungrateful yeah, well, that, that's it. And you got 4,000 people. I assume also he's the, like, was he the base commander or the lunar commander or something? So he says lunar commander, uh, and there are several bases on the moon. So I think it's a case of, all right, well, this is the head base. Although you'd think it should be Lunaville 1, but Lunaville 7, this is our main base. I'm the leader. He does say lunar commander. And they do actually, like, have what could only be described as light, childish squabbles throughout the episode when they're like, yes, on the moon here, we're all self-sufficient and we're managing to, we, we can make our own water. And then Lieutenant Green was rightly like, which initially was brought from Earth. <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah we, <laughs> we brought the supplies here. But it's also a very, very minimal threshold for independence. So it's like, okay, we're now self-sufficient. We're off. Uh, it's oh, all right. So where are you going to get your, your trade goods? Or something from you know it's you've got kind of what appears to be a very utilitarian set of goods there what are you going to trade where's your next bit of income coming from or... uh, it's like people who are like oh, i'm gonna go live off the land and i'm gonna go off grid live off the land so like, okay fair enough are you gonna be in a tent you're gonna build a hut from 
absolutely everything. There is going to have to be some human input in here, and, and even if they do manage to build a hut, a house out of the natural resources around them, they're completely off-grid. There's still things that are being controlled by humans, like for example they're not being attacked by bears anymore, or any wild creature that could do them harm, because of infrastructure that's put in place from society, so they're not truly off-grid. You're cutting, cutting those logs with a saw, where did you get the saw from? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> did you build your own iron ore mine, smelt the steel yourself? There is someone who tried to do that with a toaster, and they tried to make a toaster by forging everything themselves, including going to mines and getting the raw materials for the metal to make the grid. Right. It looked awful, but it was, it was part of an art project. I'll try and dig it up. I, I'm hoping I can find it. But I, they made like a little uh, documentary about it, uh, one of the fluff pieces on the news. Uh, but I'll try and find it and add it in the show notes for like the natural resource toaster or something like that. But yeah, they, they do touch on a few things that we've spoken about on the podcast before when they're being able to talk about hydrogen and oxygen are present on the moon in their own elements who so were able to pull them together to make water, H2O. So the idea of mining the moon for raw materials and then from that making your own has been in science fiction for ages, but now it's actually becoming a reality that we're able to explore. Like in the previous episode, we just talked about making moon bricks out of pea. They don't mention that in Captain Scarlet. No, funnily enough. And also, and... I'm not expecting, as soon as they make their first few moon bricks, they go, right, we're now going to go independent. <laughs> <laughs> but... I think it's quite interesting, because this episode came out in 1967, two years before man first landed on the moon, and in the opening little monologue, they say, since man first landed in the 70s, so clearly when they were writing this, they thought there's no way we're going to land on the moon this decade. Yes. So they say yeah. the 70s, and even then they don't give a specific year, they just say the 70s. Yeah, yeah, I did notice that. I was going, oh, good, but you're just not quite there. You know, you, you took a risk. I, I, I can't blame them. I mean, no. you don't think we're going to land in 2024. I'm getting ever sceptical of this, although the la latest SpaceX mission, they just docked while we were recording the last episode, by the way. That is a step in the right direction for them getting to the moon by 2024, but I still think it's a, it's a rough date. Yeah. And you reckon it's going to be delayed. Yeah. Even more so now because of Corona. Sorry, just on the uh, the spaceship, I did like their countdown to the countdown. That was good. They <laughs> did they do that? <laughs> it went like five, four, three, two, one. Okay, everyone prepare for liftoff. And then they lifted off. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so what was the countdown for? <laughs> everyone needed a sort of, you know, get, getting ready to be prepared for liftoff. Because if, if the captain had sort of said, get ready for liftoff too early without them being prepared, they'd be shot. My, uh, my notes on that are... Oh, I love a good rocket launch in Thunderbirds. Just because there's actual real fire coming out of those rockets. Mm. And it's it's like a proper propulsion as well. Like, it's not just a simple flame coming out. Like, they've made something with gunpowder to actually cause that, like, burst of energy coming out. So there's some real pyrotechnics going on, which I quite mm. like. Yeah, probably got the local fireworks maker. Just... Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the lunar base is made of colanders. They went to the store, got colanders, and then they put them on top of like some cylinders to make them look futuristic, and they cut bits off, but primarily they're colanders. <laughs> like in Thunderbirds, in uh, Thunderbird 1's base, there's a lemon squeezer behind it to make it look like a massive fan. 
you get what you can to make it look futuristic. And you don't have yeah. to actually just glue bits on. You just cut things off to make them look futuristic. I didn't notice that, so it worked. Well done. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of the machines aspect of it, what did you think of the, the Lunar Hopper? Yeah, the bouncy vehicle. Yeah. In principle, uh, all right. You can just use a wheeled vehicle, so it wasn't obvious why not to use that. But they did say, we want to go to this sea, and then the guy said, well, that's 200 miles away. Yeah. Then later in the episode, they'll say, oh, we've got to get there and back in two hours. There is no way that that thing is going at 100 miles an hour. Oh, God, yeah. You're spot on. Because uh <laughs> I was thinking, it's like, 200 miles away, at that speed, you're going to be, like, at 10 miles an hour, which is probably an over oh, I think it was going about 5 miles an hour. Um, or oh, hang on. The actual size of it is probably quite big, because you just saw the interior. Hmm. So from that, you can infer a size. Let's assume it's 30 metres. So it yeah. was going quite high, and it was going quite far. So let's assume that it's covering, I don't know, a kilometre a hop. I think that's reasonable. Oh, it didn't look that big to me, so... Um, okay, if, it, if it's that, but it looked... Uh... So I reckon it could do a kilometre a hop because of the, the way that the gravity is. However, when they said, it's surprisingly smooth, but the actual model is going like, crunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crumpling underneath it. Because they have to make it look like it's got suspenders, so they, like, decrease with the actual thing. And they're like, it's a surprisingly smooth ride, despite the fact that it looks like it would dislocate your shoulders every time it landed. Yeah. No, um, it looked quite inefficient. It's probably the best thing for travelling on the moon, though, because, well, your moon buggies only work on flat surfaces, and the moon is going to be hilly and rocky. So, for example, with the hopper, if it goes into a crater, it can hop out, hmm. whereas a buggy, you'd have to go around a crater. This will allow you to just go, right, we're hopping in and then hopping out. Yeah, I mean, if it is massively long... You reckon that's a kilometre? Or each one of those hops? If that was 30 metres long, no way, it's a kilometre. Get the ruler out. <laughs> Watch it again. Because uh, other, otherwise, I was thinking like going 200 miles in that thing would just take years. Yeah, a kilometre is a bit rich. Would you accept 500 metres? Um, <laughs> it's sort of like some sort of weird negotiation. Well, uh, does that buy into it? So imagine like 500 metres, 20 seconds a hop. Yeah. Um, I, I will have to get me ruler out and start measuring, but I, I think it would have taken bloody ages. It's not going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, no, it's not going to go 100 miles an hour. But the Humboldt Sea is real. And while watching this episode, they say, oh, it's entirely obscured from view. How did they know about it? Because the first images of the far side of the moon came from Luna 3, which is a Soviet mission back in 1958, I think it was. And the image that it returned was blurry as hell. Like, you just saw a few huge craters, but nothing to be able to determine, oh, it's this sea and that sea. Uh, there were some other images that were returned, but they, again, weren't as detailed as the ones we do now. But it turns out the Humboldt Sea is, like, on the northeast corner of the moon, and you can actually see it for most of the time. But because the moon has this, like, I think the term is wavering, uh, where it's... Libration? Libration, that's the phrase. It's sometimes partially obscured from view, but you can see it most of the time. And then the Humboldt Sea actually stretches around most of the back of it. So they had this name of something that sounded cool, Humboldt Sea. And I think they 
they, they took a liberty and said, oh, it's entirely on the far side, when actually it's mostly on the far side, but we can still see it from this side. Uh, one of the other notes I have here is the identification badges make them look like they've all given 50p to charity and got a sticker back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are, um, yeah, as someone who works with security systems, they are a bit of a, a heavyweight badge. And also just the, let's not add our pictures on it. Yep. Uh, or any other identification. The fact it works is, you, you talk to Sid, the computer that controls everything. Hello, Sid, I am Captain Scarlet. Your identification badge says you are Captain Scarlet. Here is your security clearance. Whereas, if you took the Lunar Commanders and said, Hello, I'm the Lunar Commander. Yes, your badge says you are the Lunar Commander. What do you want to do? Oh, <laughs> Yes, whoever designed that system. I hope they're not a member of the British Computer Society. They would uh, would be done for professional membership, or they'd have their professional membership removed for bad security design. So SID is so advanced, it can control everything, predict the entirety of the response of a population in terms of a political speech, but can't work out people who are speaking. The nearest badge to where your voice came from is that one. So therefore, you are that one. Because obviously, the, but you're not sending the command through the badge. Yeah, exactly. You're sending it through your mouth. So there has to be a correlation between the badge and the mouth. So presumably, it's saying, well, which that mouth has just issued a statement, which is the badge nearest that mouth. Therefore, that is that person, as opposed to which voice is that. So Thunderbirds has managed to predict a lot of things as has Captain Scarlet in terms of like fantastical ideas that have become a real life technology. Like in Thunderbirds, they talked by looking into a watch and you can do that with the iWatch. Now, the Apple Watch, you can just like look into it and you can have video calls with it. Uh, So that was kind of like inspired from Thunderbirds. Yet they couldn't think about facial recognition. And I'm pretty sure this has come up in other episodes, but facial recognition on the moon, no, it's not worth it, especially for checking that the lunar controller is who he says he is. Like, there's no other system, like a password system. Yeah, but as we've said, it is for children. Like, you can't expect huge, uh, (laughs) like, intricacies and, like, oh, here is a very accurate hacking scene because kids are going to turn off to that. That's probably why it ends up with the whole base being blown up. Yeah. Which, by the way, this is a note that... I made a note of because it really stuck out to me at the end when they're wrapping up the episode Colonel White saying like oh yeah the Lunar Commander and Orson died on base but the way that he phrases it oh they were destroyed in the Holocaust yeah and I was like excuse me uh, yeah so okay. I had a look at the definition of the word, and obviously it refers to the tragedies that took place in World War II. It can refer to a sacrifice completely consumed by fire as like a burnt offering, but it can also refer to a great or complete devastation or destruction, especially by fire. So they've used the correct term because they were lost in this great destructive act. So you could say, you know, they were destroyed in the fire. They They died, blew up in the fire in the explosion. Shorthand for that would be saying, oh, they died in the Holocaust. But this came out in 1967. The term Holocaust, to refer to the awful atrocities during World War II, was very much used then, as it was now and in the 60s. So why that word? There's a lot of other words you can use, and you've obviously made things simplistic because you're making a show for children, why include the word Holocaust? 
possibly to downplay it in the same way as they were downplaying the role of women. Uh. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my impression of the 1960s. Uh, what I did like, though, was Captain Blue had blue pyjamas. <laughs> did Captain Green have green pyjamas? Oh, they didn't show it, but it was, uh, that was good that uh, each captain must wear their colours uh, even when in bed with uh, <laughs> issue pyjamas. Oh, how annoyed would you be if you're like, oh, great, going on a work trip to the moon. This is amazing. Oh, wait, I have to share a room with the other two blokes. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. You've oh, got Captain, Captain Pink. I know, I'm actually Captain White, but my pyjamas are in the same wash as Captain Scarlet. <laughs> Actually, he wasn't Captain Pink in the show. He was Captain Magenta. Okay. And it was Captain Ochre as well was another one because Captain Brown might have sounded a bit weird. Yeah. But yeah, had to all share a room on the moon. Despite the fact there's a lot of space on the moon, you could have had like a nice little residential complex of like everyone gets their own room. But no, you get in the three-person suite where you're all in the same room. What's the, Also, what's the rule with Captain Scarlet and his hat? Because sometimes he wears it, like even in the, at the night, and then sometimes he doesn't. Uh, yes, I did notice that. I think it was a case of they're in their room, so they're kind of like winding down, like start to take off the uniform. But then when he's on duty on the missions, he's got the hat. Oh, also, I remember now. So on the rim of the hat, there's a microphone built in that comes down to chat into. So it might be, I need to talk to Captain Blue. So there's a microphone built into the helmets. Speaking of the suite that was bugged, do you know of the Hotel Viru in Tallinn, which is in Estonia? Uh, no. So uh, Tallinn is this beautiful Baltic city right on the coast uh, of the Baltic Sea. And, you, and quite often people from Finland do day trips to Tallinn because it's significantly cheaper to go there, drink, and then go back into Finland where it's a bit more expensive. Tallinn also has a huge Russian population and was behind the Iron Curtain. So Tallinn was a huge tourist population for everyone in the so Soviet Union. You had this wonderful beach. It was a very, very medieval looking city, just a really pretty place to go on holiday. So it was very popular with tourists and a lot of people from the West did also go to Tallinn as well. And one of the main places you stayed was the only tall skyscraper-like uh, hotel in Tallinn called Hotel Viru. And it boasted in all of the uh, like pamphlets and all of the paraphernalia for it, they were saying, hey, come stay at the 12-story Hotel Viru in Tallinn. But if you're on the street level and you're counting the floors, there's 13 levels to this hotel. And that's because the 13th floor was a KGB listening station because every single room was bugged. Oh, right. <laughs> and what happened was you'd be in the bar and you'd have some drinks, not smoking, but they put an ashtray down between you because the ashtray was bugged. Mm. And that bit where Captain Scarlet's like, he's like, I think the room is bugged. And so he tells everyone to go quiet. They turn up the volume and then screams like, good night, Orson. That reminds me of like one of the journalists who went into Hotel Viru and in his room, every time he went in, he would just go like, testing, testing. Hello. Yes, I'm back here now. Because he, <laughs> he knew the room was going to be bugged. Yeah. Um, but from after. From that point on, every single visit he had to the Soviet Union, he had to go through three times the checks. They like made his life especially hard to travel into the Soviet Union and travel oh, around right. because of his like 
uh, like arrogant streak. Yeah, yeah, disrespect. That's the best word to describe it. I've done sort of an exercise of bug hunting in the army. Oh, right. As part of some training. And uh, yeah, broadly, you keep quiet. You don't sort of say, right, we're looking for bugs now. Um, every, everyone just carry on normal conversation because uh, that kind of gives the game away. Well, to be fair, they did whisper it. Captain Scholar did whisper, even though that would probably still be picked up by the bug. Yeah, so, and also generally, you don't just say, we found one. That's the room clear. Yeah, they were like, they were like <laughs> found the bug, the room is clear, and then Orson goes, oh, Captain Scarlet found the bug, let them make their plans. It's like, surely you'd want to listen in on that. Yeah. Don't go, okay, they know we know, let's have a little game with this. Yeah. It's like, no, you're a spy, listen in more. <laughs> yes. So, uh, uh, yeah, I was amused by that. Um, would you, because this is part of a trilogy, the next one being Crater 101, would you be interesting at reviewing that at a later date? Uh, yeah, that'd be good. I'll have a look at Crater 101. I'll send you a link for that of where you can stream it. I don't think there's anywhere you can stream it legally at the moment, although I, ha I did find one or two places that hosts it that I, th I think those streams are illegal though, unfortunately. So I'm gonna not promote those and include them in the show notes. Instead, I'd encourage you to go and actually buy the DVDs from Amazon because they are actually pretty cheap for all of Captain Scarlet. I think it's something like 12 quid, which is good because there's like 30 odd episodes and loads of behind the scenes features and some like how they made the models, which I always find fascinating. However, I do realize that hardly anyone owns a device that can actually play the DVDs now. <laughs> Everyone streams everything. <laughs> Well, yeah, I've got a PS2 so I can do stuff off that, but my computer doesn't actually have a CD drive anymore, so I've I've got an external one so I can burn CDs and listen to them in listen to them in the car. But yeah, on the whole, becoming a discless world. Do you have any final thoughts on Lunaville 7? Uh yeah, at the end when the guy gets annoyed at the computer and then starts shooting it, that'll do nothing. Oh, what yeah, that, that's something that's such a trope in the 70s. I, sorry, I just got distracted by my own tangent because this happens in Moonraker where Bond stops a thing from happening by shooting it. And I, I hate this mentality of, oh, you just shoot the thing and it blows up. And shoot the computer, blow up the base. Who rigged up that system? Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it is a highly critical machine, but if you break the screen, uh, then the whole thing blows up. And not just uh, the computer, the base. Yeah, that's That has it. the Lunar Commander on it. Yeah, well done there. It's like me saying, I'm fed up of Google being slow, I'm going to shoot my screen, and then suddenly Google not only crashes, but blows up. Like, oh. All the campuses across the world, the one in Dublin, the one in San yeah. Francisco, the one in San Diego, the one in London, the one in Singapore, boom, all blown That's up. That's it. Yeah, they've set up their protocols wrong, if uh, if that happens, quite frankly. They ought to use safer protocols. Uh, yeah, that was something that did kind of frustrate me a little bit as well. But conveniently, they had evacuated all the people from Lunaville 7. Don't know where. <laughs> yeah, Lunaville 6. Yeah, all Lunaville 4, that was the one that was close by, where they say we grow all our food here. Uh, which, by the way, there have been experiments done recently where they've simulated the lunar soil, and you can actually grow things in lunar soil. Oh, cool. Give it a go. Uh, you need to simulate the soil first, but yeah, go, go nuts. <laughs> right, will do. As a concept, I quite enjoyed this. Broad stroke story, it's quite a, a proper sci-fi idea. 
you have a civilization on the moon. There's this interwar between Earth and another planet. The moon's like, well, we didn't start this. We're responsible for ourselves. You're dragging us into a war that we don't want to be part of. Uh, no thanks, we're seceding. So that's like quite an interesting idea in itself. And then they explore some other things by like mining the moon and making the best of the resources they have there. So there's some solid sci-fi concepts. Just the execution of them is a bit poor. And the dialogue yeah. is, is, is really basic and mundane. But it is meant to be for kids. Although when you go look for Captain Scarlet and the likes of HMV, it's not in the children's section. It's in the science fiction section. Oh, right, yeah. Probably just adults like yourself. Yeah. Getting it. One of the notes I have here is, we'll pad the runtime with the Lunar Hopper because they have scenes of it taking off, going up, and then landing, and they recycle that footage a fair bit. Uh, which yeah. I understand why they do it. They did it in Stingray all the time. They did it in Thunderbirds a few times. It takes a long time to create the model, create the world. So if you have the footage, you may as well mm. use it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I also love seeing the base getting blown up at the end because it's just... Derek Meddings is a fantastic visual effects artist, and he uh, he did some solid. I, I just love the explosions of of like painstakingly med making a model of a power plant or some underwater base or an oil rig or a skyscraper, and uh, fill it full of fireworks and blow it up. Now, yeah, that's that's kind of what they did at the end of um, Team America: World Police. Oh yeah, it, the sets. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was the that was the point. That was that it was a tribute to like Thunderbirds. What star rating would you give the episode, then? Oh, solid four stars, I think. That was good. Oh, okay, that's quite generous. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'll give it four Mysterons out of five. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so tune in next time where we'll be returning back to the normal show, the monthly one where we'll talk about like moon news and any, any other moons of the solar system. Probably the next moon is will be Io, and then we'll discuss some moon news and then from there we might do another one of captain scarlet we'll see what the feedback is for this so tune in next time and yeah check out lunaville 7 the captain scarlet episode and tweet us your thoughts or leave a comment on the soundcloud website or however you want to get in touch with the show you can even email your thoughts let us know what you think of lunaville 7 and if you enjoyed it and we'll try and add some feedback back into the show so until next time bye 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 bye